0: Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the world's leading podcast for injectors and cosmetic businesses. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, an aesthetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend David Segal, an entrepreneur and an aesthetic business mentor. Each episode of IA showcases unfiltered conversations with guests from around the world. In a sometimes disjointed industry, IA aims to help educate and connect our
1: global community to raise the
0: bar for both our businesses and our patients.
1: To further support and educate our listeners, we offer a range of additional resources under our IA Patreon subscription service. This caters for injectors and business owners of all levels and includes interactive live Zoom sessions, webinars, hints and tip videos, private chat groups, and exciting future content to come. To subscribe to IA Patreon, head to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon or click the link in our podcast description. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. We're, We're back. We're here to talk about, well, what would seem like the logical next step based on where we left our previous conversation, which was yeah. Social media is not what it used to be. It's tough to get traction. People put too much emphasis on it. The algorithm's always changing. Yes, you need to have it, but one of the key points that you made last chat was, build a website because you own that website. There's things that you can do with Google My Business and there's, you're controlling your digital footprint rather than being at the mercy of a third party uh, corporation. Um, would that be a fair way to maybe sort of preview yeah, the discussion. Definitely. And if you are joining us for the
0: first time, Rick is a digital marketing guru all the way from the UK and we did chapter 1 which was like you just said on social media and its pros and cons I guess. Chapter 2 was on Google and how it sort of interacts with your website and I guess social media as well. And now we're going to talk about websites. So Yeah. 100%. yeah. So Rick, um Why don't we just sort of recap, I guess, the end point, which was why isn't social media your – why can't you put all your eggs in one basket and then we can move on to websites in case people miss that bit?
2: Yeah, so I think it's – at the top level, it's about balancing risk. So it's becoming harder to get traction on social media because of the declines in reach and it's very difficult to get engagement and inquiries if you're just starting out now with just social media. Yeah. For those reasons, highly saturated. So you need to diversify. And I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking Instagram is marketing. But yeah. Instagram is just one of several social platforms. Social platforms just one of several digital channels and digital channels just one of one part of a good marketing plan. So it's actually quite a few levels removed and it's important to have that perspective when you're thinking about how can I drive patients into my clinic. So the kind of antidote or the rebalance to that was last time we chatted, Google local optimization brings you people that are already looking for what you do near to where you are, mm-hmm. which is a much easier uh tap to turn on than Instagram. And so the next step in that patient journey, once they found you on Google or social, is by and large, they come and check your website out. It's where they make their first impression. Um, unless they've just become obsessed with Jake's Instagram stories, Mm. in which case that's where they'll (laughs) form their impression.
0: I had a a complaint from a patient yesterday. I was (laughs) treating her. She said, "Um, where where have you been? Like, where are all the stories?
2: (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I've had better things to do. (laughs) I I did enjoy the crypto trader one, I have to admit. I really did. Yeah, okay, well, um, um, and and you use the lyrics to one of my favorite songs. So oh, okay. I really enjoyed it. Well, Which
1: one was that? Was that my milkshake brings all the boys to the Under no, song was it? No, it was hello. Oh, hello,
0: Lionel Richie. Hello. hello. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, so uh, this kind of it sounds like a stupid question, but let's just deal with it. What is the point of a website? Like, why even have one for those people who don't have one and they've resisted and they think it's too much money, etc.? Why? Why have it?
2: is one Instagram post and one Instagram story is not enough to get your impression over your positioning, your brand, what you're all about to educate the patient about how your clinic works to gradually onboard them and nurture them through a kind of introductory process. Um, It's not enough to have only social media try and do that for you. And as we said, if you're also going to build other marketing channels, You need somewhere to catch and convert those people. And it's something, like Dave said, that you own. You're in control of it. Mm. You can manage it. You can set out your stool. And if you do a really good job of it, it will give as good an impression and, and as good of an account of you and your team as it would if I just walked in off the street. Right.
1: So would it be fair to maybe say that social media is kind of like the bait to draw people in? to hopefully land on your website where you can actually properly convert them and educate them on who you are. They can look at your team, as you said, they can get a feel for the quality of of what you do, where you do your treatments. Uh, We're talking about this industry. So would that be fair, like the social media is there as almost like a bait
2: to sort of draw people to where you wanna filter them? If we're getting into fishing analogies, (laughs) I'm gonna say that uh, social media is the ground bait that you catapult out in the general area. And Google's the silver spinner that pulls them in, and your website is the net. Yep. So that's where you, you catch them and land them.
1: Well, there you go. That's a bad
2: analogy. Wow. Well, I think it works. Right?
1: Uh, uh, yeah, you started talking about nets and silver lines and silver like, spinners. Like, oh, yeah, you have done that? this before. I
2: mean, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I used, to be a, I used to be a member of Seaford Angling Club. Wow. So, yeah. I'm all about the fishing.
0: There you go. There you go. Martial arts, fishing, what what can this man not do? Well, I'm I'm waiting for
1: I'm waiting for a Confucius quote. Is that coming soon? Yeah, it's coming. I'm a stoic as well, so it won't be long. (laughs) (laughs) Now,
0: before we get into, I guess, how you build a website and maybe engaging with someone like your company, how does someone go about, like, designing, you know, I've gone through this process a hundred times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. And we, we inside Aesthetics are redesigning yeah. our website. And we can talk about the migration from one platform to another as well because Rick... Uh, felt very strongly that we should be on WordPress. So we mm. plowed ahead and we're doing it, Rick. So hopefully you're proud of us. But Excellent. maybe, yeah, but what are the sort of key elements of a website? I mean, you know, it seems like just pages and some navigation, but like, how do you sort of sit down and engage with a client and say, right, we've got a blank piece of paper, go. Like, what, what's the process?
2: So I think there's a few things before that. Just, just, to, just before we get to that, and there's and that list is long, by the way. So that's going to take a while. But before that, before you engage with someone, I think it's important to give people some of the questions they should be asking or things to think about mm-hmm. before they engage with a professional, or even to decide whether they should, like whether should they just bang it out on Wix.com on a Friday night with a glass of Chardonnay. Damn, um, that's my tactic.
0: Damn. <laughs> <laughs> now.
2: Uh, and there's and there's pros and cons to doing that. Um, I actually think if you don't have the budget to do it properly with a professional, you're better off not getting a cheap one and just doing one yourself quickly for now. Right, I actually believe because at least then you will quickly realise the benefits of having a professional site, and you will learn what you do and don't want from that website. Yeah. So that's the first thing then if you are hiring a professional first red flag is if they contacted you but to sell always, you a website always happens a red flag.
0: yeah i always get emails uh your website redone you and blah, blah, blah. it yeah. seems very bizarre why why does that particular niche of people do that i don't understand
2: uh, it's called desperation.
0: <laughs> right. Can you imagine so- you just started randomly Did what your Botox done? Well, it's, it's literally <laughs> yeah. like me walking down the road saying, yeah, <laughs> no. do, do you want your face
2: done? Exactly. Yeah. It's very odd. I mean, I get it. I, I get them in my inbox all the time. Like I, w- I was looking at your website and you need help. I'm yeah.
1: Like, oh, okay. <laughs> Damn, um, I thought I was good,
2: but clearly not. Um, fair enough. I'm listening. Let's have a call. Um, but, so I, if they contacted you, that's a red flag in, in my book. And it happens all the time, especially... It, as aesthetics, as a market has got bigger and bigger, there are people kind of prey on the sector. Same goes for all of these bits of digital, whether it's SEO, Facebook ads. You'll get people in your inbox every week saying, I'm, "I guarantee you this, guarantee you that." Just number yeah. one, if they contacted you, that's a problem. Ignore it, yeah, because they're no, they're nowhere near they're nowhere near busy enough for a start, and um, they're, they're not the ones you want. So it needs to be someone that you can find out about their reputation, maybe get a personal referral, um, somebody who understands the industry. Those are the things you should be looking for. Then when you do engage someone, then you get into to address your question finally. What should you be asking? What's involved? Um, Really where it starts is where are you positioning yourself in the market? So it's more of a brand marketing question to begin with before you get into the technicals. Yeah. Um, you know, are you going all out for the high-end ladies that lunch, driving the Range Rovers uh, and having champagne every lunchtime? Or is it more mid-market? Where Where's your position? Because um, that informs the general look and feel, the language, the kind of content you would or wouldn't include, uh, whether or not you would include pricing or not. Mm. Um, and that's a really nuanced discussion because sometimes you might include pricing because it's more of a volume business or sometimes you might include pricing just to get rid of time wasters because it's quite high pricing
1: Mm.
2: Uh, or sometimes you wouldn't have it at all because if you have to ask you can't afford it so it's all of those questions to begin with is not so much about the website design or structure per se but more the positioning and the content then you get into what's it going to look and feel like and that's Really, really important because you've got about half a second to get people's attention with this website, and that's how long it takes them to form their first impression. That's been shown in study after study. Less than half a second, they either stay or leave.
0: On a website.
2: On a website. Right. Um, It's not far off the same if they look at one of your social posts, by the way. Not yours personally, but anyone's. So you get very little time to make a good first impression. And unfortunately, time after time, a lot of clinic homepages look the same Mm -hmm. as each other. And a lot of that's to do with stock imagery. Yeah. So the number one thing you can do when you first start out is create your own photography and your own video. Get get someone in, professional, to do a, a patient and team photo shoot. So that then that website represents the people that you work with, the patients you have already, and it looks totally different to everybody else's. Mm. That's the number one thing you can do in terms of design. And if you can work with an agency that can recommend a photographer or videographer, great. Otherwise find one. But when you start out, that's the number one way to differentiate. Mm. Then you should be asking questions of your provider, like which platform? Um, Are we going to build it on? And the best, in my experience, is WordPress because it's just highly indexed by Google. It runs quicker, it's more flexible, um, it's easier to work with. You can create custom sites in a faster, superior way to most of the other platforms. Things like Wix and Squarespace are great if you're just going to knock a site out quickly for yourself um, because it's drag and drop but they're super bloated, so they don't run quick. They're not easy to work with from a search optimization perspective, and you kind of get what you're given in terms of layout and design, et cetera. So I'd say go with WordPress. Um, Then there's probably 30 other things that we will cover on this call which are involved in a website, things from the speed of it, the structure of it, how should you lay out the menus, um, what content do you need, do you not need, how do you onboard patients? How do you increase the rate at which visitors turn into inquiries? We're going to get into all that. Yeah. Can I
0: challenge you on the whole Wix thing? Because I feel very
2: <laughs> precious about
0: this. No, I'm joking. But I do use Wix. And um, for your av- let, let's think of a, a single injector in the UK, because that's where you're from. And they probably don't have a huge budget. And even if they do manage to scrape together a budget to engage with a company high-end like yourself, and they get a website up and running, they're often going to want to make little edits, changes, change the photos, whatever. And my understanding is that WordPress is a little bit more technical or difficult. I don't know because I've never done it myself, but
2: would that be correct or not? Mm, Depends how it's built. So what, I mean, if we did it, we build it in a way that we then train you how to edit it and keep keep going and it's in the same way that you would with Wix you can add new pages, new content new okay. blogs um, but I, as I said right at the top, I agree with you if you don't have the budget um, it's actually better to use one of those platforms because it's drag and drop and it's easy to spin one up quickly yeah. uh, which is good, it's, it's created a great democratize I can't speak now, democratization <laughs> yeah. of web development which is a good thing um, same thing as will start happening with content because of AI. Um, so I think it's it's a good thing. Um, my counter to your challenge is that over time, eventually, if your clinic is succeeding at some level, you should move to a professional site because then it'll unlock scale that you can't achieve with a a free
1: site builder. Mm going to ask you a question around design. And when I was involved with designing websites or on teams that were designing websites for various businesses, you were always looking for what was contemporary at that point. So what was the, the modern looking website? Because just like clothes and music, it seemed like these websites moved through sort of fashion cycles as well. And so how do you know sort of what's on, what's fashionable? And then how long should your site last in terms of being relevant from a design or fashion perspective? And then how easy is it to change that later on? Is it just a matter of changing the skin, I guess, would be
2: you know the metaphor? Um, but, yeah,
1: can you talk on that a little bit?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I built my first website in 1995. Okay. So I've seen a few, I've, I've seen it all, flares, corduroys. <laughs> <laughs> so it does go in cycles, but over that whole time, because it is still a brand new sort of industry, still relatively speaking, 20 something years, um, some uh, established best practice has developed. And so... Sometimes what happens is people try to go against the established practice to make things look cool, but it's to the detriment of user experience, results, inquiry levels. So really good example of that is like the hamburger menu that you see. People do that because it looks cool, and it can be a bit uh, easier to understand on a phone, but still the convention and the research and the stats say that if you just have the names of the pages listed out as a proper menu – people engage with it more and you get more traction and more inquiries and then you get crazy websites coming around in sort of four or five year cycles where you fly off to the left and right and go diagonal and <laughs> all of this kind of stuff but it, and they're exciting and and in some cases if it's more about entertainment like i don't know it's the web page for the brit awards or whatever then that can be quite cool because it's quite an immersive thing but if it's for a business you better in some ways with some of the key elements sticking with the conventional norms. What do do web designers usually do to try and keep up with things? They try and make it look like the current iPhone operating system, basically. So we've gone from beveled buttons to flat graphics and then back again to shadows behind things. And then we've got parallax scrolling, which is where, as you scroll down the page, things come in or move out. All of that was led by Apple. Because Apple were the first ones to create web pages where as you scrolled down the page, the MacBook blew out into all of its component parts and Mm. all this kind of stuff. So there's all of these trends in terms of interfaces and things, but there's also norms which you should stick to. So it's a bit of a balance. I think a website should last you at least five years, at least five years, in terms of before it even begins to look anything close to dated. Yeah. Um well that's probably than... think of a couple I can than... think of a couple that we've done that were 10 years ago and they still look good. Yeah. Um yeah. so it's about 10 years ago we started making sure that everything was fully responsive. So it changes shape for phones and tablets and things like that. Um but it is relatively straightforward to update the skin as you called it, which in a WordPress site it's creating a new theme. Mm. So it's the same underlying content, the same structure. But you're updating imagery, that'd be the fastest way to do it. Yeah. Do a new photo shoot would be the fastest way to update site. And imagery, if you look at the most beautiful websites and some of the best clinic sites that we've done, they're much more about the imagery than they are the actual design or the layout of the site. Yeah. So, you know, one fantastic picture can make make an amazing homepage as long as you've got the conventional method of pushing people through to the next step the whole design is the image so it's relatively straightforward from that perspective to keep it on trend as it were so presumably
0: let's go back to the single injector maybe not just starting out but like you know they they want a website for the first time they actually have to think about what is my brand what What is my color scheme? what is my font and what is my logo? and all that kind of stuff probably has to be thought about before you get to the point of creating the website, otherwise you're just choo- choosing random colors
2: and you're almost branding yourself as you go and Pretty then much. You're- i mean it's like deciding to just walking into a room in your house and deciding to decorate it. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't do that. (laughs) Picking up whatever's nearby. (laughs) Yeah, you you need to do a bit of thinking beforehand. And there's a lot of ways that website projects can go wrong, whether you're doing it on your own or you've hired someone, if you haven't done some of this thinking beforehand. yeah, um, Like branding is one of them because, uh, and and we would always have a conversation about this because we've just been around... Around the loop, so many times, but other younger web designers or web agencies fall into the trap of they start designing the website without even having any brand elements or visual identity. And then the clinician or the business owner that they're creating a website for suddenly realizes, Well, I don't like this logo that you've added, or, and I hate (laughs) these colors. And then they're in a branding loop for seven weeks and they're not getting anywhere with the website. Yeah. Um. So you do need to have that thought process or do some work on that beforehand. The other thing is content. Um. That's usually where things get stuck, especially if you're having to write the content yourself, if you're doing that website on your own, or if the provider you're working with has asked you to give them all of the content and they'll build the website. That's always where it gets stuck. Yeah. yeah. So you need to think about that beforehand or a good provider will advise you on how to structure it or what to write or even write it for you. Or these days, maybe you will use a robot to help you create some of that content. like Jake tried to do for the show notes today. It worked. It worked.
0: <laughs> it worked. I, I was, I've got my, I've got the top 10 uh, tips from ChatGPT on designing a website. Mm. We'll go through at the end. Um, we can. In
2: this case, ChatGPT needs to leave it to the experts. We're going to generic the crap out of everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, true. I, I was going to ask, how, is there like a, a minimum number of pages or, or even page types that you think... A website can function with. Obviously, it can become super complex and bloated. But
2: like, what what's the minimum? I mean, the minimum is one. So, <laughs> because there's, you, you can have a long, um, a long page with lots of content on it, and that that could be sufficient when you first start out. It could be a great landing page that does the job. Right. You know, it's got everything about your team, the treatments that you offer, uh, and a way in to to make an inquiry or a consultation. So that's that's the minimum. um, If it was beautifully done, but I think patients looking for a bit more. They do their research. They like to dig around. They know. They kind of split into two camps. They're either seasoned and they know what they're looking for, or it's their first ever. They've never had aesthetic treatments before, and so they're a bit lost. Mm-hmm. So either way, you've um, and I wanted to talk about this as well. structure of a website and guidance Mm. through a website so because there are such cool new tools around now like chatbots powered by things like chat gpt uh, you can have video widgets on your site which are interactive which help people through the site it's time to start making use of those for clinic sites because as much as you can do a pretty good job of Having lists of skin conditions rather than just lists of technical treatments, that's a good idea anyway because a lot of patients don't think like you guys. Yeah. If you say Morpheus A, like, they don't know what that is. If you say we use a cannula, they wouldn't know the difference, but they do know they've got acne, rosacea, sagging, wrinkles, whatever. So having a list of conditions is always a good idea. And explaining how you help address all of those things, or even going a level above that and talking about general outcomes and concerns like, oh, I always feel like I look a bit tired, even when I'm not that kind of thing, like emotional type things, having content and pages that addresses those and then walks them gradually through to what a typical treatment plan might look like for that. And then here's where you book for your consultation for that kind of thing that kind of funnel works but for the people that um, have never had it or are not of the type that like to dig around in a site having something like a chatbot or a video widget really really helps get people there much faster so we've got a few sites that we've done where we work with the practitioner to record lots of short clips of them asking questions and then responding to the answer that the visitor has chosen with a button and then taking them automatically through to the right part of the website. Mm. Um, and you can do a similar thing with chat box now. We just started working on uh, with one called InquiryBot bot and we've just been trialing it on a couple of clinic sites. And so far, if you script it and program it properly to understand all of the conditions and the treatments and the way that you can help people, it is increasing conversion rates. And in the first one that we've used it on, the conversion rate went from about 4% to 9%, which means for originally of everyone that came to this page, 4% of people got in touch. Now it's 9% thanks to this chatbot. So guidance is another key thing. So no matter how big or small the site, having a really fast way for people to ask a question, get a response, and then be pointed through to engage you in some way. Have you used a chatbot? Yeah, I've used them
1: mainly for big companies when you're inquiring with like Telstra or banking. Yeah, they've got all those, and sometimes they work. Sometimes they're, they're fucking so, annoying. Sometimes, sometimes they're a bit rubbish. Not your ones, Rick, but yeah. the ones I've used. Um, so, how much detail do you think people need to put into their websites these days? I mean, let's just focus on the aesthetic space because that's what we're all here for. But I'm, yeah. I remember back in the day when I was like creating websites or creating content. It's just so monotonous and you you think to yourself, who's reading all of this crap? Like is it is like is it all getting read? I mean, it, is the purpose to sort of have them sit there for, you know, mountains of time reading? Or do you want them to pick up the phone or send an email to inquire? And then I guess to extend that question further, do people trust websites these days? Do they find a place they want to go to? Do they research what it is they're looking to find out about, a treatment they're looking to perhaps undergo? And then they'll go to unbiased websites like chat forums and, and try and get more sort of impartial information. And then once they've made a decision, that's what they're after. Do they then go to a website and it's it's a quick, quick,
2: quick transaction? So a lot of questions you know, there, but yeah. I think all of those things are going on. So, yeah. uh, and and other things that you didn't mention. So yep. one of the reasons the content's important, as we said on the last chat, is for search. Yep. Because people have questions about conditions and they have questions about treatment types and if your website's the one that gives them the answer then you've got a foot in the door and then you put your best self and your the best impression of you and your clinic team forwards to them and then they will go and research you they'll look they'll take your name and then add the word reviews and pump that into google search so then they'll find the third party sites or even your google profile with your patient reviews then they might come back and book. So all of those things are happening. I think the content is important because people have those questions because you want to be found before your competitors do. So it's important to have a, a site that is designed to attract people, educate them, and then convert them. That's the kind of three big things that I think a really good clinic site should be able to do. So it, it builds traffic, um, and to answer the one of your questions, which was, who's reading this crap? Um, they do. Like when when we look at the analytics for all of our clinic sites, the most read section of the site is the blog, if mm. there is one. Mm, oh, really? It be, really. Yeah. Um, so, and it's kind of evergreen content. So, if you think of an equivalent Instagram post, it has a life of. 12 hours let's say where there's some initial engagement and then it's gone forever um whereas blog content lives for years and people visit it daily so if you i'd encourage people to set up tracking for their site so they can see for themselves what's what's working
0: i was going to ask we, we've used the word blog on a couple of our podcasts and i i think i know what it is but what is its purpose? Because it just seems to be like an area of of a website and it doesn't actually have to be you know, on your website but linked to it where you're just answering questions, like common questions. But why wouldn't you build that into, say, a frequently asked questions bit on your website? What's the difference?
2: I think you, you would probably do both. So on a lot of the sites that we create, you would have treatment pages or condition pages. Then within those, you've got the, maybe five or six very relevant questions to this type of treatment. Let's say it's lips or cheeks or whatever it is,
0: mm.
2: uh, lasers. There'd be some very specific questions about how long does it last? Does it hurt? <laughs> Etc. That's where they live. The blog is your more research based articles, thousand to 1500 words about specific questions. And it can also have content on there that's dynamic. So we're having a an open event or we went to this show or we put on this webinar or we've introduced this new type of treatment and here's how that went down. So it's more a dynamic area of the site, whereas the others we'd more refer to as static pages, um, treatment pages, that kind of thing. There's a there's an in-between type of content, which we'll cover it. I'm sure before we finish, which I call lead magnets, um, which is one of the ways you can, use one of the tactics you can use to increase conversion rates through the site. Mm.
1: Mm. Interesting. Do you blog? No, I don't. (laughs) Do you read blogs? (laughs) No, I
0: don't. No, nor do I. (laughs) I, I don't, you know, I guess it depends whose blog you're reading, but it does always seem quite generic and filled with keywords and you almost read some websites and you think, okay, this is for Google. This isn't for me. Is that a tactic that some websites are using? They're loading it with, you know, keywords. Oh, definitely, and stuff. some
2: are definitely some are using it, but it won't work for much longer because of this update that Google have made called the Helpful Content Update, right. which we might have we might have touched on last time, but it's worth talking about because Google is very 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 smart, and its algorithm knows for sure: is this going to be useful for a person? Right. Or is this only for search? So your articles, that's why we only base it on the questions that people have typed in to Google. It's based on data. So if your content answers that question, it's helpful. And if we can see in the analytics that somebody read that blog and then went to the booking page, then it works. Yeah. So definitely there's a percentage of people who just don't do that and they just want to look at before and afters and then phone you up. There's always different types of users, but there is a large percentage, I would say probably half, on some of the clinics that I have stats for where at least one article or one guide is looked at before they get to the contact or the booking page.
1: So blogs it is then. But I mean, if you're if you're getting blogs written by, say, chat GPT, is that something Google's going to pick up on and know that you're just sort of… Haha. Uh-huh. I have, I have
2: breaking news on that question.
1: Okay, okay. let's have
2: it. Breaking news. Uh, so, they, Google, as you know, have created now their own AI tool, and at the same time, they've come out and said, uh, "We don't care how you create your content as long as it's helpful." So, and that includes content written by AI. And I think that should so, be that. Sh- that
0: is sh- that is how it should be, right? I mean, so yeah. what if it's AI made? It's
2: still useful, exactly. So they're saying, yeah, basic, because I always, I still think at the moment with all of these AI tools, and we've had other chats, there are some really cool ones, aren't there? Like ones that help you with audio, images, chat. They're all really cool, but I still think at the moment they all still need an expert hand at the tiller. Yeah, um, you know, looking after it, guiding it, editing it, and the same goes for. If you're going to use it to write the copy for your website or your blog articles, it still needs you as the expert to edit it, update it, make sure it's in your tone of voice, make sure it's super um, readable in the way that it's laid out as well on yeah. the website. That's another thing. Web copy is very different to print copy. Bullet points, pull-out quotes, images, visuals are all required to make bring a blog to life and actually have it drive people to take action, which is what you're trying to do. You want it to catch them in because you've got the answer to their question. Then you want to inspire them and then tell them what to do next. Yeah. And people people on websites are relatively compliant. If your website, you come into your website and it says, We're so glad you're here. This is what we're all about. This is the answer to your question. And the next two things you need to do are this and this. And then we'll see you in clinic next Tuesday. Hmm and people follow the process if you lay it out simply and show them what to do and if all of that works beautifully slick on a phone and super fast
0: just before we get on speed and phones and all that good stuff go back to design and images and i guess content you know when i've been doing my own website i've sort of given it a little bit of an update recently you can either keep it minimal is the wrong word because you're going to say, no, you need keywords and and, and some basic things there to actually make it a good website. But at the same time, if you bloat it, it becomes too much. And the other thing for aesthetics particularly, it's a very visual you know, specialty. We want to see befores and afters or what is a nasolabial line and whatever. And then you can risk just finding all these random stock images like you said and you type in, you know, shutterstock nasolabial line and you find the same photo every time and you recognize that photo on everyone's website. And yet, you know, most people probably don't have the time or the budget to get their own bespoke images of every single condition. So what what's your sort of happy medium? Where Where do you... I mean, how do you do it? yeah
2: I mean, yeah, you look further, spend more time if if you if you cannot get your own images created, bear in mind you could I think you could still do a better job with a tripod and an iPhone than you than using stock images but if you if for some reason you have to use some sort of stock then. Look further. Look in unusual places. Like there's a there's a platform called Unsplash, which they're actually free and they're quite different as well. Yeah. So, because the, the last thing you want is for the picture on your homepage to be the same one that's on your three competitors' well, homepages.
0: Well, to big up uh, Wix, seen. Unsplash, and there's another one are linked into the sort of the file search, so you can look yeah. on Wix. There
1: you go. There you go. <laughs> one all, It's one
0: all now. <laughs> do, you, do, do, do
1: you think that Jake has shares in wicks I'm, 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 I'm starting to wonder now
0: they're there Israeli no, really, they're Jewish <laughs> no I'm joking. I'm joking
1: it's just cheap
2: that's what it is.
0: Uh, do you know, No, is I'll be completely honest why, why I did it I did it years ago because you know I was one man bad in the UK and from then on it's just kind of been it's in the too hard basket to change and yeah, I even yeah, I sort of flirted with changing it um, you know the COVID because I thought I've got all this time and it, yeah, it's still in the too hard basket. But I, yeah, may, maybe you're going to convince me by the end of this podcast.
2: I, and I, I don't want people to get me wrong. Like I've seen some really good Wix websites, yeah. really good ones. Um, and you can get some traction research. But if you have the choice and you're starting now, I wouldn't start there personally. Yeah, fair um, enough. Because it kind of limits your growth in the future. Um, but in terms of imagery, yeah, I'm a massive advocate for patient photo shoots. So I was in Belfast on Monday and we were talking about this. I did a presentation with my mate, Adam, from Canada. We had lots of Q&As about websites. The Q&A bit at the end took over an hour. Mm. And then we had a queue of like 20 people at the end. And all of the questions were about Google social websites. And in terms of imagery, that was the biggest takeaway for most of them was to try and get away from stock, do a much better job with the imagery of representing uh, or allowing people coming to visit to identify themselves in the imagery. Yeah. Because every clinic website you look at, by and large, there's a 25-year-old blonde on the homepage. Yeah. And, you know, that's very rarely representative of the whole spectrum of people that walk into your clinic. Um, we saw an amazing one from the US, and they didn't actually use photography. It was all illustration custom illustration and they're huge on um edi ethnicity diversity inclusion and they had every type of human you've ever seen all across the website in these fantastic illustrations and it's probably one of the nicest looking clinic sites i've ever seen mm. um, and all of their content uses these kind of illustrations
1: right so if people haven't been lucky enough to have a bespoke website built by uh, look touch and feel by Rick and his team and they have an existing website and they feel it needs an update, it's not performing like it should, maybe it looks great but it's not getting inquiries. For whatever reason, it needs to be looked at. So how does that work if they've already got an existing existing website that needs improving?
2: Yeah, it's quite a common um, inquiry actually uh, when I speak to people is, you know, I've got a website but it's not really working for me or I don't get many inquiries through it. And so sometimes we'll maybe do some coaching or we'll actually have a look at it in a few ways. And so the first few things we'd look at is, number one, the search optimization. Oh, I'm doing it now, Jake. It's <laughs> infectious. Search optimization element of it. So is it indexed at all by Google? Has it got content that's coming up for key search terms, et cetera? So we'd look at the traffic levels first and see if there's anything we can do there because often it's not a huge amount of work to if no seo work has been done on a site or it hasn't been done properly to do it done to do it properly and to and to start seeing results can be quite a quick fix mm. so it'll be updating things like the metadata making sure it's running quick enough there's slightly technical jobs but those can be done then once you you can see that it's ranking for search terms and we've got all the google local things see previous episode (laughs) sorted and we're driving people through um and we can see there's enough people but they're still not making inquiries then you know it's a problem with the website itself in terms of what it looks like or the impression it's giving or the content or the process to get through it to make a booking um we had one a few weeks ago which is good Um, anecdote for exactly this question really so they had a, a, a website and the first inquiry was about seo so we were looking at initially as i just described making sure they're getting enough traffic making sure they're ranking well for certain terms and we did some work on that and it was running well traffic was climbing and we could see a lot of traffic was coming through but it didn't translate into inquiries and so we know then there must be a problem with the website. Yeah. So when we looked at what was involved in the site on just booking a consultation, it was so clunky. It was super clunky. So they had a, a system. I won't name it, it's, it would be mean. But what it did was it showed you 20 different treatment types. You had to find the consultation one in the list. Right. Then you had to go through and give a whole load of details, inside leg measurement, you name it. It was like 18 steps to book a consultation. And so there's far too much friction in the process. So what we suggested is that that system gets moved to a separate area of the site for existing patients who already know what they're booking in for. They're coming back for a top-up of something. They know their way through that. They've already got a login. They've already done the setting up an account keep that for existing patients, but the whole rest of the website, which is designed to convert new people into a consultation, we just have a very, very simple, we used um, something called Calendly, which is dead basic and simple, but it's brilliant at booking appointments. Right, It's super slick. So we just kept that on the whole site for booking a consultation. The day after we did it, they got five new consultations booked in after we removed that friction so that was the problem sometimes you find the fatberg in the pipe and you m- remove it and things <laughs> unlock and and you just you have removed the friction
0: i love the language that uh, I, it's, you know, it's just so the analogies are just so mean. yeah i just i hate it when i get a fatberg <laughs> 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 um you did I say something you yeah. said something interesting because obviously <laughs> Calendly is not a website I guess it's a widget of a booking system on your website so yeah. that's kind of almost another episode in itself and I don't know if that's your thing or Richard Crawford Small's thing but like booking systems themselves mm-hmm. are is, is a whole other world and there's hundreds of them
2: but I think we'll do one on automation and CRM systems and it falls into that camp really okay because um, yeah the, and again when you're If you're just starting out and you're not sure what full clinic software system you want to use yet, just get something like Calendly on your website because it makes it so easy for people to just find a time that suits them and in a couple of clicks they're they're in. Um, But again, even if you've got an existing system but it's too involved for new patients to get in, we, we actually, to figure this out, we put some software on the website where we could watch videos of everyone's visit to the website. Hmm. Like not their face, that would be weird, but their, <laughs> where their mouse was going or where their finger was going on the phone. And we could see every time they were getting about five or six steps into the process on the booking system just to try and get a consultation, and they were giving up. Wow! So we were watching it happen. We could see where the friction was, um, so we just removed it and made something super simple for just consultations.
0: Can you set that up on my website? I'd be fascinated to see that. See what people are doing. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Wow. Yeah, we use something called Crazy Egg. Um, <laughs> J- Crazy Egg. J- just just between you and I Rick J- Jake likes to watch. Just just <laughs> I'm just <laughs> Uh it gives that vibe. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, it
0: gives that vibe. I'm I'm just not going <laughs> to respond. Just going to go to the next question. <laughs> what is a Sunday nights and Negroni
1: podcast <laughs> <laughs> that just get out of control? <laughs> um,
0: well,
1: right, it's, it's, on. It, it, Your life would be so boring without me, Jake. You know, I drive you crazy, but you would be so bored. So bored. You should have seen our WhatsApps <laughs> today. They were funny. They went from
2: it's UFOs, nine o'clock Sunday morning where I am, and I could do with a Negroni as well. Yeah. Um, I feel left <laughs> out. Yeah.
0: yeah. Now, converting. You know, I, I guess what you just said was part of this, but ha- getting people from A to B, and I guess removing the clunkiness. Like you also use the word lead magnet. Is that related to th- this process? Tell us, tell us about how a website should sort of flow. I guess, and and what do you mean by clunkiness?
2: Clunkiness is. Uh, and and again, these little video tracking things are just amazing for this because it takes the guesswork out of it. You actually see where people get stuck. But I've watched a lot of them. I know it makes me sound dull, but I've had to for work. Um, and you see, and also what's really funny is the software, it flags up recordings and it has a little um, icon for something called a rage click Oh, so some, somebody did a rage click on this part of your website <laughs> because it was that hard to use or, or they got so frustrated so it's <laughs> about right. removing friction so it should be it's one of my favorites the rage click um <laughs> how do you do that, that the that, amount
1: of times people press on it is that like
2: come on. or it might be a, a t- um a rage tap if it was on the phone but Essentially, it's about guiding people through. So if they because not everyone lands on the home page of your website, so you might have it figured out that David. I'm behaved. laughing because
1: that's me every day with the rage. <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know how to classification and name. But, but now does. you know
2: you're a rage clicker. I am. Um but if if you're not everyone lands on your homepage, so even if you've got it all figured out and your homepage says start here go here and book in here and it might lay out the process which it should not everyone lands on the home page they might come in via an article or they might come in via a treatment page so the menu itself should really be a step-by-step so it should explain you know tell us the concern that you have identify the types of treatments that might be relevant and get booked in for a consultation that's really the what it should do quick as quick as it can really. Yeah. Um and you've got these other ways of guiding people through like the chatbot or the video assistant. And then the lead magnet is how we use that is most websites there's only really two options. I can either book or I can leave. And that's typically what happens. That's why you get a relatively low percentage convert to an inquiry because you're asking them to book in, book in, book in. There's a middle option where you can just capture some of their info, but you're not asking for their commitment for a booking. Yeah, And how we do that is, let's just say on the dermal filler area of the website, you know that they've been looking at it for a while. Partway down the page, you would have a small panel that says, before you go, download the ultimate guide to dermal fillers. Find out what areas you can treat, what to ask a practitioner, what happens in a consultation. We've built the ultimate guide you can download it just pop your email in and when they do that it automatically goes onto a mailing list on your system and they automatically receive a nice looking pdf guide to everything dermal villa along with some calls to action that they come back and book a consultation you can also program some automated follow-ups to nurture them and educate them a bit further but you haven't lost them they were going to leave they weren't ready to book they were going to leave but instead They wanted some info, they left their email. When you do that, you tend to find your website starts to get a bit more active and generates more in the way of leads. Mm. And you get three types of leads. They either just phone you or they book or they join the mailing list. Mm. So the website to become stickier and to generate more activity and work harder for you, which is what we're talking about, conversion rate, these are some of the ways you do it. You give them a simple process to follow, help them identify themselves in terms of their problem, make it super easy for them to book in. But if they're not ready to do that, offer them a middle ground, which is we'll, we will provide you information. We will educate you. Just give us your email address. How
0: successful or I guess, oppositely annoying are those pop-up boxes where it says something like, hey, let's be friends, and they just want your email, your name, really and annoying. your phone number. They're really annoying.
2: I don't like pop-ups anymore because so much traffic happens on a phone. The pop-ups is the whole screen. Yeah. The only, the only time we've really used them recently was during COVID when it was like, hey, we're shut, buy some skincare cream from the website shop. Yeah, um, But apart from that, These kind of things I'm talking about, these lead packets, they don't have to pop up. They can be part of the page design. Yeah. Um, Because when you're on a phone, I mean, I don't know what it's like where you guys are, but our local news websites, they have to get so many revenue streams going that you have to close about 19 pop-ups before you can read a local news story on the website, especially on a phone. It's just a horrible experience. No, we don't have that. There's all sorts of things. um
1: so landing pages it's been a term that's been thrown around forever um my understanding is it's the page that people will be directly sent to on your website it might be your home page it might be a page on your website that you've created for a promotion that's linked to a particular campaign that they found you through google is that right? I mean, is that sort of too simplistic? Maybe you can correct me and, and explain it a bit more fully and then maybe we can discuss what's the importance of them and, and do we still need them? And is it called
0: a splash page or are they different?
2: Ah, uh, So a splash page is a bit different. That's more like a – could be like a holding page or a pre-waitlist page would be like a splash page. Okay. Um, or something that comes up when something's loading mm. is a splash page technically. Um, a landing page – which also sometimes gets called a squeeze page, is, um, like David said, one of the main use cases is you're running a pay-per-click ad campaign uh, with Google or with Facebook, and this is where you would send people to from that advert because one of the worst things you can do is just send them to your main homepage because you've shown them an advert about one particular thing, let's just say dermal filler, Then you're going to send, they're going to click on it, and then they land on your generic homepage and they've got to find their way back to dermal filler information. And it's annoying. Not only that, but they might get distracted or just leave. So a landing page or a squeeze page is one isolated page, usually with the rest of the menu removed, which is only about that thing that you've advertised on your ad. And it's only designed to do one thing, which is capture their details whilst they're there, um, and put across some information, credibility, testimonials, et cetera, in the process to help push them over the line.
1: Mm.
2: The other way you would have a landing page in place is if you're working quite hard on search optimization and you start to rank quite highly in Google for certain search terms, some of your the pages on your site might become landing pages because they're getting more traffic than your homepage or the rest of your site you might have lucked out and you might be getting all of the traffic locally for lip filler or something. And so that page technically is also a landing page. So you'd want to then really think about how do I capitalize on the amount of people that are coming to this page by changing its layout or turning it into more of a squeeze page to capture their details whilst they're there. Right.
1: Right. So it just basically circumvents the need to navigate through your website to find the relevant information. It's almost like a they're traveling through like a, a wormhole almost sure, <laughs> they get okay. to where they get to need to yeah, get to, yeah.
2: Yeah, because if if you're running 10 ads on Google about 10 different treatments, then you'd need 10 landing pages. Um, so that the the ad about lip filler goes straight to a squeeze page about lip filler, the ad about cheek filler goes straight to a page only about cheek filler, and the case study on it is about cheek filler, and the review from a patient is about cheek filler and the inquiry says book a consultation about Cheek Filler, it's massively relevant to what they just searched for and the ad they just saw. So it squeezes them through the pipe for that inquiry, and yep. it doesn't let them wander off or get distracted.
0: Um, we've used the word SEO, search engine optimization, a number of times in our um, podcasts, and I know it's like a monster topic, but thinking about, say, a web page, let's just think of, I don't know, a cheek filler page. You just mentioned cheek filler. How does that page talk to Google? Like, what, what, where are, where do you put your key items, or is it particular headers that have more relevance, or is it labelling the pictures that is best? Like, how do you see that in a in a
2: kind of a nutshell? Yeah. So you hit a few of the elements in priority order from top to bottom, uh, and it's almost literally from top to bottom of the page as well. You've got the meta title. Uh, which you set in the content system you're using. So whether it's Wix, WordPress, Squarespace, they all offer this ability to edit the metadata for the website yeah. or for the page. So if it's cheek filler page, and you are in a certain town, then or city, the meta title should really be cheek filler name of town or name of area, uh, and then. The second thing that Google looks at is the meta description, which is when you're looking in the search results in Google, that's the couple of lines of text underneath the blue heading. And really, that's a bit of marketing copy to persuade people to click on your search result and not another clinics. Um, so you should put things in there about your how long you've been established and your reputation, etc. Um Then the next couple of things they look at or Google look at are the heading tags. So you have usually in um, a content system, you'd have different styles for different levels of headings. Yeah. So you might have a main heading or a subheading or a sub heading. The top two are usually the H1 or the H2 tag in code terms. Right. And the H1 and the H2 tags across the website is what Google looks at to determine what are the, each of these pages about and sometimes when we look at a site where it's not doing so well when we look at what are the h1s and h2s they're just generic words like treatment or contact or about and they're not telling google anything
0: yeah
2: you have to be a little bit clever about how you use these tags so that they're speaking to google to help index that site for that term Um, and then it's about the copy on the web page but I would emphasize that it needs to be useful and readable and entertaining and educational for people first later and secondarily for Google. The keywords will come anyway. Um but then you mentioned another thing about images, you can add alt tags to each image so Google will know what if you tell it if there's a picture of a before and after about cheek filler and you say on the alt tag cheek filler before and after in Sydney whatever it is, Google understands what that page is about and it will send more people to it that are looking for those those treatments. So there's a number of elements to it in terms of the, the structure of it. Um, and then you get into slightly more technical territory around it has to be a fast-loading page as well for Google to consider it. And it has to pass their mobile friendliness test as well. Right. So it needs to be usable on a phone. The elements need to be easy to navigate with a on, on a phone screen and with a finger. All of these things add up to SEO.
0: Right. See, I'm a bit of a purist, and whenever I see a website that the top page says "Lip Villa Sydney," it just seems so weird for uh, for like uh, you know a patient to kind of that. I know it's speaking to Google in the most optimized way, but the way the page is written is clearly more for Google than the patient. It just seems odd. So is there well, a way is, around that?
2: Yeah, because we're, we're talking about two slightly different things. So the meta title you wouldn't necessarily read. It's just like you might sometimes see it in the tab in the browser. Okay. But it would it wouldn't be the big title on screen in text.
0: Fine. Okay. Yes. So
2: there's like two slightly different things. And so, when you see pages where it's actually all in the text as well, yes, that's that's they've gone too far.
0: Okay, because I have seen that, <laughs> and I just kind of think, well. yeah, it yeah, just doesn't read well. Do well. It just it seems silly, and and the whole paragraph so is littered with Sydney Lip Filler, Sydney Lip Filler.
2: Yeah, no, that doesn't work. Okay, not anymore Does Google know that. It, but you will see that from from past like techniques. But the metadata is in the background of the mm. page. It's not. What's sitting at the front when when I talk about the headings and the subheadings? Yes, it needs to contain relevant terms, but it's for people. Yeah, um, but the meta title uh, can be a bit more for Google because that's not really for humans, as mm. it were. Fair enough. Mm. So we're in
1: 2023. We're already in February, fast approaching March. Nuts. So. How are websites changing into the future? So what, what is 2023? Potentially maybe 2024 is too far away for you to <laughs> predict. But what what's happening this year that, that sort of people need to be aware of in terms of websites and what Google are looking for and what's on trend,
2: et cetera? So, I mean, there's going to be massive changes in search anyway, um, which is, you know, how by and large people get to your website. Chatbots are going to become part of the search engines, Google and Bing you're going to in future have two options. You'll be able to talk to it like a chatbot and it will give you one answer or you'll be able to use it like you do now and you get lots of links as results. That's going to be a massive change. And websites, I think, will go a similar way. So a website now might be made up of lots of pages that you can navigate through with menus, but I would say within the next couple of years, probably they're going to be much more a two-way interface which is some websites get there to some level, but AI is going to take it to the next level, which is you'll arrive at the site and it will literally greet you, start talking to you by name. The rest of the site will then be personalized for you and it will take you to where you want to go. That's where we'll get to pretty quickly, thanks to AI. In between now and then, it's the things that I've been talking about, like much smarter chatbots. Chatbots used to be crap, now they're really good. Literally, in the last six months, they're really good because of AI and the the advances. So, chatbots will guide people through websites more. So, you have to think about what are the questions and answers. How can I script my chatbot to uh, filter out the people I don't want and bring me the people I do, and then get them to the right place and flip them to a consultation as as best we can. video as well as part of that will become more and more important um so using video to educate people using video as a kind of guide through the website um and more integration i would say so integration in terms of e-commerce so having a kind of integration between what happens in clinic and what happens through your automated workflows and your CRM system and how that can drive people back to your website to pick up their retail skincare or the products they need for the treatment plan you've given them, making the two work together. Um, All of that, I think, is going to become more important as people get more of a... Because of how smart things get on Amazon or Facebook or Netflix, People coming to your website have a higher expectation now mm-hmm. of what they can and can't do. So generally, we're going to have to keep up with the way we offer our digital experiences to, to patients. So how they get guided through the site, how they can transact with you, how they get onboarded, whether they get an account they can log into, whether they can scroll through their past treatments, etc., more of an integration between what happens in clinic and what happens digitally, I think, is how it's going to have to go. Mm.
0: Taking this even further, um, one of my patients has some role in the metaverse, and yes. she said, "Oh, just uh, she used my computer. She logged on to some. It's like a, a metaverse, like a, I don't know what you call it, like a mini metaverse for a big conference somewhere, mm. and and you sort of walk around as this avatar." And you can sort of touch stuff and you can interact with other avatars. And, you know, she said like the way this is where this is going is, you know, you might have a, a shop within the metaverse where you you're almost interacting as avatars, but you're talking mm-hmm. and they can buy stuff through you or they can have a virtual console and can a website live in the metaverse? I, I, I don't quite understand how the two yeah. are different or similar.
2: So, I mean, they're different. You access them in a different way. So, I mean, the literal metaverse is becoming a generic term, but it's obviously owned originally by Facebook. So, to get into the Facebook metaverse, you stick on an Oculus headset, yeah, and you and you decide where to go. So, re- big retail brands are already building big stores in the metaverse, and you can walk about and you can add things to your basket and you can buy them. <laughs> So uh which is nuts. Um and and people will do that. Like my my son, he's fourteen. The things that mean most to him in the world are digital. They don't exist. So it's like the skins and the caches of assets and weapons he has in his video game are worth a lot of money. Yeah. And yeah. um his account that he's built up over several years for the Fortnite game, we've had estimates that it could be worth eight, nine, ten thousand pounds for people to purchase because it has skins and things in there that were super rare and parts of collaborations that no longer exist from years ago. And so these, this kind of move to digital assets and NFTs, non fungible tokens is not going anywhere. And I think the next generation get, get it and they hold value in that kind of thing, how that applies to aesthetics. There's a few ways really. Um, I'm actually talking with brands about virtual worlds and things for conferences, for training, et cetera, for you guys, Um, which is those conversations started during COVID, but they haven't gone away. They were still looking at those kind of things. Um, And then for clinics, some are already using it. There's a few in the US that have um, like a flagship location in a meta type universe where you can walk around it as an avatar, ask practitioners questions, have a consultation, um, observe devices being used, things like that. And there's e-commerce integrated in there. So whilst you're there, you can purchase skincare products, et cetera. So that, that is starting to happen. Um, I've got a mate, he's a Kiwi, uh, Stephen. He's, he uh, has a bit of software that does this kind of thing called VUnite. And um We've been talking a lot about how do we take this and apply it to brands and clinics, because I think um, it's going to become, for for some clinics, it's going to become a thing.
0: David's making the same face that my mum made when I first tried to teach her about email. (laughs) She's so great the now. letters
2: go down the wire and come up on another computer. How does that work?
0: <laughs>
2: <Jesus>.
0: <laughs> Pretty much. It took her years, but now she's uh,
2: she's great. I think she I just had an aneurysm. <laughs> yeah, I thought you mean though. Like I because like digital is my thing, and I always want to be learning and staying relevant and stuff like that. But even I sometimes go really, Jeez. But it's I look at my kids who are teenagers and I can see what matters to them how they work like my son he doesn't use Google to find things he looks he uses TikTok as a search engine so things will change things are coming in new waves in terms of how they'll find you how they'll interact with you how you will uh, present your set out your stall maybe in a metaverse one day I think I I was happy
1: before I asked that question about twenty (laughs) twenty. (laughs) <laughs> so
0: maybe to end this talk Rick you, you can rate ChatGPT's top 10 tips for building your own website oh so, yes come on so, so let's have
2: ding ding Rick versus ChatGPT so round we, one we've actually touched
0: on most of this I think but define your goals that was number one what do you want to achieve with your website and do you want to build a store a blog for example so I think you kind of said that that was your
2: first step yeah, pretty much. I think there's probably step zero before that was your branding and positioning. Like, you know, what do you how do you want to appear? Who are you targeting and who do you not want to attract? Yes. Uh, equally th- important.
0: Then it says choose a platform, you know, what are your goals and what, what 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 I guess facilities do you need? So Wix, WordPress, that kind of chat, I guess.
2: Um mm, plans I'd say before, before that you should decide are you gonna do it yourself or have someone do it for you? Yeah. before you start worrying about platforms and technical things. Because that's like saying to a patient, first choose which type of dermal filler you want and then find a practitioner.
0: Indeed. See, it's not perfect, but it was pretty good. <laughs> um, plan the website structure. I'll go through this a bit quicker now. Choose a design that matches your brand. So, that is exactly what you said. Oh, there you go. Make it fast. A fast loading website is important for the yes. user experience and search engine optimization.
2: So, you know what they did? They took a download of My Brain to build ChatGPT for <laughs> I think they did.
0: <laughs> and then it just says use high quality <laughs> images, make it easy to read, and make it secure. We didn't talk about security. Yeah. So, how does Come that on. work? What happens if Putin wants to, you know, hack <laughs> my.
2: Website, for He's example, get him for mocking him on Instagram. <laughs> if he wants to get in there, he'll get in there. <laughs> <Exactly>. um, however, <laughs> so the most basic form of security for your website is something called an SSL certificate, right? Uh, which when you buy your domain name, your website address, you can ask to have an SSL certificate and it just puts the little padlock next to the address in the browser bar, Right, uh, that, that makes it secure. It means that when forms are submitted through that site, the data is encrypted when it travels through the atmosphere to you as the business. So that's the first thing you need. And you have to have that anyway. You've got to have that these days. If you don't, you don't get any traffic sent to you. Google puts a big warning next to your website address saying it might be dodgy, Right. So you have to get that. And it's cheap as well. It's like 30 bucks per year kind of thing. Um, So you have to get that. Then if you've got forms and booking systems on your site, then you need to speak to the providers for that to make sure it's secure, compliant. In Europe anyway, well, not that I'm in Europe anyway, but GDPR (laughs) compliant, Um, you know, that you're asking for consent for things and that you explain to people, how you look after their data and where it gets processed and let them have a link to delete themselves if they want to. That's generally the rules Mm. around privacy and data. Um, Other things for security is to kind of stop. Uh, If you're using WordPress, for example, as fantastic as it is, if you don't stay on top of the security, you can end up with a lot of spam stuff coming through your, inquiry forms. Yeah. So you need to stay on top of that and add little things like, you know, where it says click all the pictures of the penguin before you submit the form. (laughs) You have to have things like things like that in place to stop getting spam. Because if it's getting spam through your web form can be like a precursor to getting hacked.
1: Oh right. Mm -hmm.
2: Because it they sometimes do that to kind of fish to see if there's holes in your website. Can they get into the back end of it? And you, I tell you what is a common mistake is thinking nobody wants to hack my small backwater clinic website, but they do because they do it on mass automatically uh, to drive traffic to other things. So um, in the years gone by, uh, we've had a couple of websites that uh, people have brought to us in a panic, where one day it was there clinic website and the next morning it was an adult entertainment website <laughs> that's okay. uh, Fair because enough. it got it got hacked and flipped and they were in freefall panic because they got pe- people and patients going to this site and getting an absolute <laughs> eyeful uh, <laughs> and things that they've never even heard of um or let alone witnessed so um that's that can happen if you don't Stay on top of the security for your site. So, well, you yeah, go. that is important. We should have uh, we should have covered that. Yes,
0: and I guess last question. It's, you know, people will be screaming at this. What what does it cost? I mean, basic. You know, you can build a website for a farmer company. It could cost tens of thousands, and then you could do the most basic one page one. So, what are we roughly talking to either do it yourself or engage with? You know, digital marketing like yourself.
2: Well, if you do it yourself, the cost is your time and sanity, so whatever you, whatever you value your time at, because I, I I, do challenge doctors on that a lot because, you know, you can make a lot of money if you're injecting all day, yeah. but if you decide instead to sit there tearing your hair out, trying to build a web <laughs> you you have given up a day's worth or a couple of days, or in some cases, some weeks. people I've spoken to several weeks worth of frustration <laughs> trying to do it. Um, yeah, you know, your time is valuable. This is the reason why I don't clean. I don't do any ironing. I don't do gardening, and I don't do DIY. <laughs> I outsource it because my time is uh, more valuable. Yeah. So there's no such thing as free, but you can do it yourself, and the cost is your time. If you hire someone, man, like the the variance is pretty similar to as it is in aesthetics, right? You can get one area for 50 quid or you can go and get full face for 15,000 pound in a swanky clinic in Dubai or something. It's pretty much the same in web design and the pretty much the same parameters apply mm. in terms of quality and things. I like to say to people you can have like three things uh, be, to choose from but you can only ever have two of them at the same time. You know, fast, good, cheap. <laughs> you can only have two. Right. Um So... With us, um, could be anything from three or four k up to ten to fifteen, depending on how crazy you go with like member areas, um, you know, training on there, uh, e-commerce, whatever it might be. And that's pounds, so, yeah,
0: pounds, English pounds, yeah, okay,
2: English pounds. Um, so yeah, if if it's a website for a sort of typical clinic, it might start three or four k. But typically, they land somewhere between that and ten um, for a good custom-built site that has everything you need, booking, etc. Um, sometimes, what we end up doing is rolling that into like ongoing support. Yeah, so it's almost like a you start a partnership arrangement, and part of that is building the website.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you think about how much practitioners in this space would would spend on a single order of injectable product. It seems like not a lot in the scheme of how important these tools
2: are or this particular tool is in terms of having patients walk through your door. I tend to find some people think of these things as a cost instead of an investment and that's where they get stuck in their head with it. Yeah,
0: correct. You know, on a busy day, I don't know what the injectors earn in the UK, but, you know, a busy injector here could earn that in a day and pay for their website. Yeah. So oh, yeah, it's, a, it's a no-brainer. Um, but like you said, people kind of go, oh, 10 grand? No, I'll do it myself on Wix. That's kind of yeah. where
1: I did it 10 It's years funny. Ago. We, we've got that attitude towards patients. I oh, don't be a cheapskate. You get what you paid for. But as soon as <laughs>
0: – Yeah, people don't want to invest in education, <laughs> yeah. website, branding, nothing. And yet when a patient won't pay them, they're, they're yeah. ripping them to pieces on Instagram.
2: So yeah. there you go. I saw a brilliant post yesterday from an uh, injector that did make me laugh. It said, stop telling aesthetic practitioners that you can't afford their prices. If you don't have the money, just stay ugly. <laughs> <laughs> to the point. <laughs> well, that was amazing. I feel a little bit the same way about digital things. Yeah. yeah if you can't afford it, stay ugly. <laughs> stay, stay shit.
1: Stay unfound. That's, oh, gosh. Yeah, exactly. So we've That's... got so many more topics to cover, but I mean, I I've, uh, feel like I, I thought I knew a little bit about websites clearly I was wrong. Uh, I know a little bit more now.
0: Yeah. I mean, having done joke, but I've, I've, I, I have done my own website and there's a lot involved and, and, you know, I'm constantly tinkering and, and, you know, trying to do it. And I think my advice would be to people listening, if you don't have a website or you've got a crap website, just put the money in and speak to someone sensible. You can tinker with it after. Once it's all built and, and you know, 95% mm. there, you can mess around with it after. But yeah. try and do it the other way around. It's frustrating.
2: Yeah. So mm.
0: I did it the wrong way.
2: A couple of quick final things on that. Number one, when you are building a site, either for yourself or with uh, an agency, the what tends to happen is that you do all of it and you look at it and you check it on a big screen. But you need to be building it really on a small a phone and testing it on a phone all the time. Cause that's going to be 80, 90% of the traffic. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the second point has fallen out of my left ear. So <laughs> I'll right. come back later.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> well, just to remind the listeners, uh, these are sponsored podcasts with Rick and his company, and you can get the information down below. So if you want to do an audit of your, your website or your digital marketing, there's a link, um, on the look, touch, feel Instagram. So just go to at look, touch, feel and uh, just, you know, test your clinic, test your website and see where you are. Yeah. And you'll probably be surprised that it's not as good
2: as you thought it was. (laughs) Because that's what, that's what happened with me in COVID when I did it on mine. It is quite a harsh scoring mechanism to be fair on there. Like if you got 100% on there, you'd already be on a yacht (laughs) sipping champagne. <laughs> yeah I can just, you're, you're,
1: you are your website is bollocks give us a call <laughs>
2: i'm gonna do a version like that be amazing. <laughs> it turns out having now answered 49 questions yeah your website is crap give us a read.
0: <laughs> and to just tempt people to chapter four what are we going to do in chapter four
2: so i think next we'll be talking about automation and onboarding systems and clinic software and bookings and all of that side of things okay cool the the digital patient journey yeah that's Mm. the next logical step well thank you rick for making us or
1: me feel old and out of touch with technology but uh that's just (laughs) how it is
2: (laughs) to be fair you did it yourself (laughs) i I didn't really i I didn't need to do much (laughs) i didn't do it myself that's actually the problem (laughs) (laughs) all
0: right buddy well thank you for joining us on a sunday enjoy the rest of your weekend and we will speak soon thanks rick
2: See you soon, guys. Cheers, buddy. Take care, buddy.
0: For our latest news, follow us on Instagram at Inside Podcast. If you want to get in touch with myself or David,
1: follow us on Instagram as well at Dr. Jake Sloan and David underscore InsideAesthetics. Join our IA Patreon platform for invaluable business and injectable education. Get access to our global community of like-minded professionals, live and interactive Zoom sessions, hints and tip videos, webinars, and more. Head over to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon for more information.